0: You're not too busy to park this way, so just sit back and I'm ready play. Let me take your coughball park away. Now let's hear what Darth has to say.
1: We would be honored if you would join
0: us. Well, we are a little bit more than halfway through this book, and it just keeps getting more exciting. We have all read them books that seem like they just drag on, nothing ever new happens. Well, this is not one of those books. This book just keeps you coming back for more. To find out how the Jedi of the past lived, oh man, it's so exciting. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. So let me stop wasting time and get to chapter 11.
1: There are depths... Usamael o circa 1000 TYA. So, your arrival. Part of a journeyer's pilgrimage is to learn how to survive in the wild, and now they are hunting. Lannery stalks through the forest of giant fungi, breathing through her mouth so that the meaty scent of the huge mushrooms does not throw her senses. Her footfalls are completely silent. She can sense the areas of dried fungus skin that might crackle when she steps, or those places where a hollow in the ground is covered with moss. Her breathing is light and slow, and her mind is connected with their quarry, a small mammal. She can feel its rapid heartbeat and breathing, and if she really concentrates, she can see through its eyes. Its perception is so much different from hers. Everything it sees is shaded by the Force. It used to trouble her that so much wildlife on Tython was so in tune with the tides of the Force. But she has grown to learn that theirs is a passive relationship. It is only Jedi who can harness the Force and use it to perform great deeds. Her movements urge the mammal onward, down into the shallow ravine, past the growth of pink mushrooms that blankets one wall, and then she sees a flurry of movement ahead. A whistle in the distance, and then Lannery runs between the milky white stems. She revels in the silent movement, the breeze riffling her loosened hair, sweat lifted from her brow. When she arrives at the edge of the ravine and looks down, Dale is holding up the creature pierced on a spear he fashioned himself. She smiles. We make a good team, she thinks. But then that familiar pang of guilt stabs in once again. They are six days out from Stavkesh and every moment that passes, Lannery knows she is lying to herself. Dale will never accept the Force, nor adjust to its ebb and flow. Silently, he skins, guts, and butchers the creature, builds a fire, and starts cooking the meat. Everything he does is methodical and skilled. He's learning so much. Lannery remembers overhearing their father talking to their mother once. He's like a sponge, their father said. Every question of his I answer inspires two more. His thirst for knowledge is insatiable. He's going to be a great Jedi one day. It saddens her how her parents could have been so wrong. Dale's skills hide a deeper void within him. A dark void, where all around expect the Force to dwell. And at last, as he starts serving the meat with a soft, sweet root vegetable they gathered earlier, she asks the question that has been burning at her. Are you sad? He gives her a plate. The food smells wonderful. Dale's expression does not shift. He knows exactly what she means. Eat your dinner, he says. We have a long way to go yet. Are you sad? She asks again. The way you were at Stavkesh. Like a child. Jealous of those around him with better toys. Dale raises an eyebrow and then laughs out loud. Is that what you think? He asks. Well, you really think I'm jealous of you? Of mother and father and those others we trained with back there? Jealous that none of you are your own masters? ''Of course we are. No!'' He places his plate down and stands, not angry, but frustrated. ''No, not at all. You're slaves to the Force. You might think it serves you, but you serve it. You never have your own thoughts, because the Force is always on your mind. You never fight your own fights, because the Force fights for you.'' ''It's not like that, Dale. It's...'' ''Well, that's what I see,'' Dale says. ''I watch you use it, and when you do, you're not yourself. You're not my sister.'' ''I thought I knew what was best for you,'' she says. ''But you don't! Only I can say that! Our parents, you, the masters who trained us, everyone wants to tell me what to be, to force something upon me. But I'm my own man, my own master!'' His eyes go wide, as does his smile. And it's not madness or fury that Lannery sees there. It's joy. ''What are you going to do?'' she asks. Dale looks to the dusky sky, where stars are already emerging and ashlaw and bogan peer from behind a haze of clouds a hundred lights move high up satellites and spacecraft drifting high above typhon's atmosphere i'm going to learn he says everything i can from every temple we both visit and then after that i'm going to the stars the stars i'm going to find my way home he says no more does not elaborate and Lannery's overriding fear is one of sadness that the home they have together with their parents is not enough for Dale. Five days later, after journeying across the eastern extreme of cato Akar, where fungi forests gave way to swamps, and those in turn soon became sand dunes rolling kilometers toward the sea. They approached the coast from where the first of the moon islands is visible on the horizon. A hundred kilometers and seven islands beyond the continent of Tuls. Though they talk and travel together, the distance between them is widening with every day. Lannery can feel that, and she senses that Dale does too. The difference is that he welcomes it. Dale breathes in deeply. He is invigorated by the energy of the ocean and the violence of the waves. Beautiful, he says. Have you ever seen anything so beautiful, Lannery? Rain is falling. The sea smashes against the sandy shore, the heavy dunes they stand upon fleeting in the lifetime of Tython. The waves are topped with a rolling luminescence in the dawn light, countless minute creatures casting their glow across the waters. She can feel the power through her feet. It is humbling and yes, beautiful. It's amazing, she says. Puts your force to shame, huh? He grins, and the sea breeze blows sheets of rain that soak his hair. Lannery does not respond, though she could. She could tell him that the power he feels is the force, because it flows through the sea as well as the air and rock, the plants and ground, the living things that fly and run and crawl, and the dead things that rot beneath the soil and under the waves. She could tell him, but he would not listen. Worse, he would not understand. So she closes her eyes, and the rain and sea spray soak her as well. Later, in the coastal port of Ban Landing, they are offered an escorted crossing to Tals. The Gelfish swarms are further south than ever this year, the woman says. She has not told them her name, but she wears a ranger star at her belt. I've been across the Moon Islands and back seven times, and each time the craft I was in was attacked. I'd advise a scheduled crossing, journeyers. Those larger ships have special defenses to deal with anything the Moon Channel can throw at them, and if you go alone, you'll only have a small sailing boat. We go alone, Dale says. Eh, Lannery? We're journeying to learn and explore, after all. The ranger objects, and yet Lannery sees a flash of respect in her eyes. Perhaps on her own great journey she did the same, though she does not tell them. They spend the night in Van Landing, staying in a simple bunkhouse close to the water's edge. In the wooden beams that hold up the roof are carved thousands of names, journeyers from years past who stayed here before their own dangerous crossings of the Moon Islands to Tulsa. Lannery spends some time looking for their parents' names, but she does not find them. Later, Dale sits out on the deck surrounding the bunkhouse. Great waves break on the beaches half a kilometer away. And lit by starlight, only their swirling, luminous tops are visible, like giant coiling snakes in the dark. But she is looking at her brother. He lies on his back with his hands resting behind his head, staring up. Food, Lannery says. Dale takes the plate she has brought him and nods his thanks. It'll be dangerous. Don't worry, little sister, Dale says, even though she is older than he. I'll look after you. Their journey across the moon channel takes only three days, but Lannery will remember it forever. The sea is calmer when they set out at dawn the following day. The ranger meets them at the harbor and tells them how she has used the force to confuse and combat the threat of sea creatures, the deadly Gelfish, most of all, on her previous crossings. Then she wishes them well. They sail from island to island. Stopping only to replenish water canteens before moving on. They sleep briefly on land, but spend all their waking time afloat. A storm blows up halfway through their journey. A gelfish swarm hits their boat and starts climbing the hull, oozing toxic tentacles, whipping at the air and seeking flesh. Lannery uses the force to punch them back into the sea. Dale uses his blaster to blow groups of them apart before they even reach the boat. The swarm passes, but they are not out of danger. A sea serpent appears as if from nowhere and almost capsizes the boat, its head as big as a person's torso, teeth dripping venom. Lannery disorients the beast by touching its mind, and Dale stabs it several times with a boat hook. It slips away and flees, and Lannery senses it going deep, seeking a dark hole to hide in and repair its wounds. They battle together, taking on Tython's dangers, weathering its storms. When they reach Tal's at last, landing in a small seaport, Dale sets off from the moored boat without another word. For him, there is no time to waste, no point in stopping to rest. It's as if Anil Kesh has something for him, and he is impatient to get there. Storms thrash above Toss. Heavy rain strikes them like a hail of small stones. Lightning thrashes, and Lannery feels eddies in the Force. The Force storm makes her feel sick and unsteady, and Dale grabs her arm and helps her along. There's a new purpose in him now, and Lannery only wishes she knew what drove it. The Temple of Science is still two days' travel inland.
0: So as we just heard, Dale tells Lannery that he plans to learn all he can from the masters in the temples and then he heads to the stars. He wants to find out where they came from, letting us know that they are not from this galaxy, something that we talked about in previous chapters. He also describes how he feels that the force controls the people that have the ability to use it, that they are in the will of the force and it changes them when they use it. They are not in control of their minds or actions when the force comes into play. Lannery starts to realize that her brother is never going to accept the force he has a resentment for the force and truly believes that he is better off without it which causes her a true sadness the thought of losing her brother is slowly coming to a reality by this point she knows that they are growing further apart which scares her and dale shows no true emotion about the situation it's just the way that he is going i think that we should get back to the book and hear what else is going to happen He calls it the network, Tree said.
1: It's a loose collection of contacts, informers, and spies. Not only in Greenwood Station, but in almost every domed city on Knox. Sometimes beyond. So loose that any break in the network protects everyone else. Any disruption to the links in its web cuts off everyone else. It's genius, really. He sounded almost respectful. It's taken Max Hagen years to set it up, and he won't risk it unless we make it worth his while. And you've met Max Hagen? Used his network? No to both. But he and I have conducted business. Just what if you- It's him you need to know about right now, Tree said sternly. I mean it, Lannery. I like you. I have shadows in my past, and I'm sure Dan Powell suggested that to you. But Max Hagen isn't someone to fool with. He's the real deal. A maniac. A monster. They had crossed a stinking, polluted canal on a rickety bridge, and were now in District 6. At its far end stood the rock and metal tower that acted as Greenwood Station's central buttress, every gigantic spine of the immense dome curving back and down from the tower's pinnacle. At ground level it was so wide that it would take half a morning to walk around, and its top was hidden within a haze of smoke and steam. Craft buzzed to and from the tower, both airships and powered vessels. There was even some green up there, Lannery noticed. Garden balconies overflowed, and all across District 6, petals and leaves were crushed into the pavement by countless feet it was as if those in the tower teased the rest of the dome with what they had district 6 itself was a mix of large factory buildings storage warehouses contained outdoor parks for larger produce Lannery had seen a large area half filled with ranks of ground assault vehicles of various shapes and sizes and a network of squares around which hunkered accommodation and administration towers the squares bustled with people going to and from work and the largest housed a huge market where workers spent their pay they were closing in on that square now a huge factory belching and thundering to their left a soot-smothered five-story office building to their right Lannery wondered how people managed to live and work in such a place but she knew that many did not have a choice people were born and died on Knox, their lives mapped out from beginning to end most earned just enough to survive in one of the domes sometimes affording a few luxuries from time to time but to leave the planet would cost more than most could ever save in a lifetime no doubt the corporations liked it that way Lannery looked up at the high dome, barely visible above them, and the noisy, stinking factory to their left. Dale could be anywhere here. She felt a rush of urgency, not only to catch him, but to see him again. "'I've dealt with monsters before,' Lannery said. "'Yeah, and fought them, I'll bet. But Max Hagen is a monster with brains.' Four years ago, he was crossed by a family from Volkhaus on Chicauqua. They'd bought some information from him that helped them establish a production base in Crystal City, a dome 800 kilometers south of here then they refused to pay, killed three of his messengers and withdrew to Chicago with all their business gains intact. They paused as a train approached and moved to one side, letting the massive transport trundle by along its tracks in the middle of the road. So this is a tale of revenge and what terrible retribution he brought down on them, Lannery said. She knew what to expect. Her previous visit to Knox had been brief, but she knew people like Max Hagen. She'd met them all over the system. In a way, tree said it took him a while but he conspired to initiate a feud in crystal city and that resulted in a skirmish that left three thousand dead wiped out the volk family's entire network on nox and there was no link whatsoever to max hagen he wasn't interested in ego or in anyone knowing it was he who caused it he didn't want infamy he just wanted revenge yet infamy is his tree shrugged these things become known a sharp mind then sharp and brutal The 3,000 included many children. I doubt he had trouble sleeping that night. So he makes all his money from information? The best way there is to make money. Tree gestured around them at the buildings, the air hazy despite the air treatment units drifting and thundering around the dome's massive airspace. This is all fleeting, constantly assaulted by the atmosphere. Or it can be destroyed, as we saw on the way in. Information is eternal, and that's where Max Hagen places his faith. So is the Force, Lannery said. I'll put my faith in that. My faith is here, Tree said, touched the bulge of his blaster on his belt. Imported water, Lannery said. Seems ironic that he deals in something that represents purity. Good cover, Tree said. And I don't know about you, but I could do with a drink. They moved on, and soon, District 6's huge central square came into view in a shallow valley. It was a sea of movement, and for a moment, looking down into it, Lannery felt queasy. Countless people swarmed and swirled. Market stalls and more impressive structures strove to take their money from them. The smells of cooking mixed with the dome's manufacturing stenches and made her stomach turn. Somewhere down there, ahead of the network, and perhaps her way to Dale, Lannery led the way down a gentle slope and into the melee. the end max Hagen was easy to find perhaps he believed that concealment would make him seem more suspicious or maybe he was simply too confident to hide he was certainly one of the most unobtrusive men lannery had ever seen well i'm pretty sure that's him tree said frowning they were standing in a food stall mounds of root vegetables and racks of curing meat all around across the wide walkway from them was a water stall That's all it sold, water in various container sizes. The sign above the stall exhorted, the finest water imported from Calamar, certificate of authenticity available to those who doubt. The man standing behind the stall talking with a family of human workers was short and fat. His dark skin wrinkled with laughter lines and the few remaining tufts of white hair on his scalp gave him a comic appearance. His eyes were filled with good humor and with just a few words, he had the family laughing along with him. It is, Lannery said. He has four people around him. The nobri at the lizard fighting pit along the way, three stalls away. That tattooed woman selling fate readings we passed a hundred paces back. And up in the buildings around the square, one sniper with a blast rifle and another with a rocket. All watching. You Jedi, Tree said, but he could not hide his admiration. Best not use that word here. So let's buy some water. They waited behind the family, and after they left, Lannery smiled at Max Hagen and approached the stall. She kept herself sharp, reaching out with her force senses to those hidden guards she had already recognized. The last thing she would do was let Max Hagen's appearance deceive her. Ah, Max Hagen said when he saw Tree. What brings you here, Tree Sauna? Tree could not hide his surprise at being recognized. Perhaps they hadn't dealt face to face, but it seemed Max Hagen always knew who he did business with. He's my guide, Lannery said, and we'd like to buy some of what you're selling. Max Hagen glanced back and forth between them, and never once did his smile slip, not even from his eyes. He scratched at the corner of his mouth, and Lannery tensed, hand drifting a little closer to the sword hidden beneath her robe. She probed at him gently, but before she'd even touched his mind, she flinched back. His thoughts were such a pit of filth that she could almost taste their rot. Jedi, Max Hagen whispered. And so, Lannery asked. Tree stood frozen at her side. Max Hagen stared at her, still smiling. He poured three cups of water from a plastoid container without even looking, lifted one to his lips, sipped. Don't see many Jedi here. He'd sensed her instantly. Ready this time, Lannery reached out to read him, but he was close to her now. The wall he'd thrown up was solid and vast, and it had the feel of something enhanced. He had tech implanted somewhere in his skull, under one of those tufts of hair, no doubt. And it was top-grade stuff, high-end military. His protection went far deeper than simple bodyguards. I'm doing my best not to be seen, she said. I've nothing against Jedi, he said. He put his cup down and handed one to each of them. Lannery took hers, and nodded for Tree to do the same. "'Just don't!' he waved his hands above his head. "'You don't mess with my mind or any of that crap!' "'That might be hard,' Lannery said. Max Hagen laughed out loud, and it was so infectious that she actually found herself smiling. (laughs) Well, protection is always advisable, especially in a pit like this. A tree? He grunted inside. So, time for my lunch break. Come with me and we'll talk.
0: We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best-sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation we will give you a shout-out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. He took them beneath the square,
1: descending one of the many staircases. There was machinery down there that powered lights and air filtration and also places where less acceptable business was conducted. Brothels, drug bars, fighting rinks. Lannery sensed and saw them all built in ruins that were testament to Greenwood Station's past. Sometimes it was easier to build new upon old. But Max Hagen had no interest in such underground endeavors. Through three doors, along several corridors, and then down a secret staircase concealed behind a locked wall panel, they emerged eventually in a room that might have impressed those corporation officials in their high tower. Nice, Lannery said as he led them inside. They were on their own, yet she had no doubt Max Hagen was well protected here. She felt the weight of battle droids buried in the walls, and suspected that his implanted tech probably controlled everything about this room. One wrong move, and chaos would erupt. "'I do enjoy some comforts,' he said. "'Oh, and don't think for a moment that I'm imparting any sense of trust by bringing you here. I have dozens of these rooms all over the dome. I haven't been to this particular one in a long time, as can be witnessed by—' He picked up several bottles from a table and threw them into a corner. "'The bad drink selection. Apologies.' not here to drink, Tree said. Here to buy more mercenaries, Tree? Max Hagen's eyes twinkled as Tree squirmed uncomfortably. But Lannery did not take the bait. I'm looking for someone, and Tree says you can help, she said. He might have arrived already, or his ship might be incoming. He'll have people with him. They call themselves Stargazers. Looking in your Jedi capacity? He's my brother, Lannery said. It was no answer, but it seemed to satisfy Max Hagen. It'll cost you, but I'm a fair man in business, so I'll let you make me an offer. Half a million credits, Tree said. Lannery held in her surprise, and was pleased to see Max Hagen's eyes go wide. A generous offer, he said. Tree smiled. I'm a fair man in business. Max Hagen strolled around his opulent room, running his fingers along surfaces and tutting at the buildup of dust. His name's Dalian Brock, Lannery said. I need to know where he is, and he mustn't know I'm here. Are you going to kill him? Max Hagen asked. That's none of your business. True. But every time I use my network, I put it at risk. And as I'm in business for pleasure, there's always a price over and above money. Generous though your offer is, Tree. Lannery did not respond. Add it to that, Max Hagen continued. Do you have any idea how much business would suffer if anyone knew I was helping a Jedi? We won't tell anyone, Lannery said. Oh, I know that. He spoke with such assurance, such confident control, that Lannery felt a shiver down her spine. Only one other person had ever made her feel like this. Dagan Locke, the one time she'd seen him during her short retreat on Bogan. None of the others with her party had seen him, and the master supervising them had told her that it was impossible, that prisoners were kept separated by force fields. But though he had been little more than a shadow on a distant hillside, she had felt his eyes upon her, and the weight of his regard. Heavy. Dark. So, Max Hagen continued, an answer to my question is also part of the price. Will you kill your brother? Lannery considered the question. It was one she had confronted and struggled with already, and it had caused more distress in her than finding Dale's bloodied, torn clothing nine years before. But the answer was already firm in her mind. Only if I absolutely have to. Max Hagen nodded. His eyes were on fire. My stall, dusk, he said. If he's in Greenwood Station, I'll know by then. He plucked an electronic device from his belt and held it out to Tree. I'd appreciate untraceable bonds, if you will, and the transfer should be the full amount. Half now, half, Tree began. The full amount is fine, Lannery said. I can see you're a man of honor. Max Hagen frowned for a moment, trying to make out whether Lannery was playing him. Then he laughed out loud again, head back, hand pressing his side. This time, she felt no urge to laugh with him. I need a shower, she said. I want to change my skin, buy new clothes. The man's a disease. I did warn you. And where do you get so much money? You don't want to know. I do, Lannery thought, as they walked as quickly as they could out of District 6. I do want to know. She made sure they weren't followed. Max Hagen would have his eyes on them somehow, she knew, and his attention was something they had bought along with his help but someone following them would be too much of a threat to ignore. And she did want to know about Tree and where his money came from, and Dusk was a while away. I know a place we can go to, Tree began. No, we'll walk. I don't like his knowing I'm here. He'll have a trace on us somehow, but I'll feel more comfortable on the move. Besides, I need to know this place more. Why? Tree asked. Useful if it comes to a fight. She nudged Tree's shoulder. Come on. Let's buy a couple of tankards, drink while we're walking. We'll fit right in. And you can tell me something about yourself. They bought drinks and walked, and all the time Tree was talking, Lannery was taking in their surroundings, getting the lay of the land, locating herself in relation to the rest of the dome and the damaged sector, and possible exit routes to the outside if the need arose. She tried hard to make herself believe she wasn't being helplessly fooled by Max Hagen. I made my name in violence, and my money in secrets. Lannery's own silence had encouraged Tree to speak, and she was not about to interrupt his flow with questions. My third Leku set me aside, even among the Twilight community on Kalamar. It invited ridicule. You wouldn't think that, would you? That in a society filled with so many shapes, species, and creeds, a simple extra something would set me apart. He snorted. I suffered as a child, and that set me on the course I took through all my young adult years. He fell silent and they passed a square where small, sick-looking creatures were kept in metal-fenced stalls. The animals were completely silent, and it was the humans and other species who made the most noise, as individual subjects were hoisted up on an apparatus, hung from their back legs, and butchered. Meat and money changed hands. The cattle watched, eyes heavy with knowledge. What course? She asked. The path of violence. I killed my first man when I was seventeen. A street fight outside a tavern on one of Calamar's less salubrious islands. No one cared that he was dead, and after a day, neither did I. It had helped me. His mocking, his violence against me were washed away. He looked down at his palms as he walked, by his blood on my hands. Killing should never be easy, but it was, and I became really good at it. Defending my honor, i discovered that I was a fighter. Others soon noticed. I slipped into crime. There was always a part of me that resisted, but the rewards easily helped me fight back. I drove down the doubt and embraced the new worlds opening up for me. Wealth, power, status. I became feared and revered in equal measure. A name. I gathered others around me and formed my own criminal organization from the bottom up. It was unintentional, really, that creation of a gang, but it just happened and I relished every moment. They left the square with the doomed cattle and entered a warren of narrow alleys between low buildings. The sounds of life flowed from open windows, screaming infants, arguing parents, entertainment channels, music. Lannery felt apart from all that, and the weight of her mission bore down on her even more. Her heart beat with its urgency. She should have found Dale by now. You don't look like a crime lord, Lannery said. You don't seem like one now. Now I'm not. Like I said, I made my name in violence. Once that name was made, and I'd moved my operations to Chicago, I became one of many. I was lost on calamar i'd had an empire on chicago i was just another upstart the real crime lords there looked down on us picked those who they thought could help them sometimes slaughtered those who looked beyond their station and that was something i could not help doing i expanded too quickly reached too far and too fast i was noticed and lannery asked trees leku betrayed his nervousness and how uncomfortable he was with his memories and they gave me a chance Killed many of my lieutenants, but saw something in me that they thought might be of use. They were. He shook his head as if finding it difficult to explain. Like Max Hagen, Lannery said. Only the very least of them were like him, Tree said. The worst. monsters, beyond anything I could ever want to be. They repulsed me, but they gave me a chance to live, and I took it. What chance? To make money by keeping secrets. I was on my own once again and lonely two of the nine houses employed me to be their messenger they gave me secrets that could not be entrusted to the written word or technology could not be transmitted or relayed by unreliable droids i carried such secrets for them and if any ever escaped i would die i still would i could tell you such things lanry but you won't no and even the greatest jedi could not pick them from my mind after what Dan powell has done to me she's protected you Lannery said, understanding at last. By making Trisana impenetrable even to Jedi probings, she had given him the perfect mind in which to maintain those secrets from the past that could be the death of him. It's a small part of what she promised, Tree said, his voice dropping. Because I want my life back. The gangsters haven't called on me for almost a whole Tython year, but they will soon. I don't want it anymore. I want everything that Dan Powell promised, a new identity, new face, new home and to forget everything I've done. He laughed softly, touching his third leku. Surgery. I want to fade into the crowd instead of stand out. I want to be... normal. You'll never be normal, she thought. Not after what you've seen and done. And Lannery should know. But she said nothing to shatter his dreams. While he still dreamed, he could help her. She felt sorry for him, but she also recognized that a wish to leave such a life did not absolve him of the guilt he had earned. He'd told her only a small part of what he had done. His red skin was stained with blood, though of how many victims she would never know. After this, Dan Powell will set me free, he said. He seemed so confident, so sure. She's a master of her word, Lannery said, and she gave me a large part of what I am, too. Tree raised an eyebrow, and his leku formed the questioning touch. But Lannery said no more. He might have opened his heart. But her story was not one to share with someone like Trisona. Lannery nodded to the dome's western expanse, where filtered yellow light bled weakly across the city. Dusk is close. Time to hear Max Hogan.
0: So here we are, and Lannery and Tree are getting more desperate to find Dale. And at this point, it sounds like they've exhausted every option that they can use to find him. The planet that they have followed Dale to is a planet that designs technology. And it has a lot of criminal-type people on it. And Lannery and Tree find that they will have to use some of these criminal type people in the crime underworld to find Dale. This is where Max Hodgins comes into play. Max Hodgins is a crime lord that makes a living off the sale and use of information. After their meeting, Max tells him to come back later as he uses his organization to find Dale and the Stargathers. So as they wait for the information, Tree opens up and tells Lannery more about himself. He goes into detail about his past criminal activity, which is really bad. And Lannery finds herself not like Liking what she is hearing. He's a monster, but he also wants to escape this, which explains why he is there. His ties to the criminal world show why the Jedi Master recruited him and why he is wanting to escape his past. This is also why he volunteered. The plot thickens in this chapter as more information is revealed. So exciting, but that's all we have for this episode. I will see you guys next time when we study the next chapter to find out where this story takes us.